Thanks, Katie. I want to thank all of you for welcoming my friend Liza. Um, she's, uh, she is in a especially good mood today. <laughs> and so I just want to make sure you know that uh, we just want her to feel totally welcome here all the time. I had the privilege, actually, of uh, the shortest wedding I ever did, per- helped perform, uh, was her mom and her hu- new husband. Uh, it was on the mountain about four years ago, and it was in the winter, and they're big skiers, and we went up, uh, and the hardest biggest snow snowstorm with the biggest flakes you've ever seen, right then, at that exact moment. So it's pretty much, do you, do you, I now pronounce you man and wife, <laughs> Lizzie was going crazy, I mean, Liza was going crazy, and uh, so that was it, so super fast, um, pretty funny. Uh, we just returned, just my wife and I, I think uh, some of you are aware from dropping our kids off at college, so all that went great. I did notice that Claire and I uh, self-medicated on the way home. I had this really careful budget planned out because it was a long trip. And then we, we went to the Target. <laughs> and, oh my gosh, and then we went to Nordstrom's Rack, and let me introduce you to my new jeans. <laughs> and then we went to like, Trader Joe's, I mean, everything you can't do here. And uh, really, uh, we're going to uh, be paying for that for a little while. But um, it's okay. Uh, that's how we dealt with the, uh, the suffering of losing the kids for a bit. Welcome back, all you college kids. Awesome to see you all. Um, all your parents had to do the same thing. Uh, we're in a new series called Changed, and it's about the miraculous encounters that people had with Jesus. Think stories in Scripture where Jesus does a miracle, something uh, supernatural, but we're looking less at the actual miracle, though that's obviously the sets the stage for what we're going to talk about, and, and we're going to look at what it is that happens in the lives of the people who are impacted by the miracle. Even the person maybe gets healed, or what they see, or the crowd, or, or what happens. So that's the that's the point changed because all of these people we're going to talk about the stories that we're going to tell in, through November are stories from the scripture of people that are changed because of what happens. And as you heard when Katie read, at her altitude, um, that, uh, <laughs> that some people get changed by a very unusual miracle, fit, the catch of a lot of fish, really uh, unusual. We're going we're gonna to dig into that a little bit. And there's one thing I want to point out to you uh, as we start that I think is very important and has struck me for years, for actually my whole Christian life, as soon as I had read this, uh, it's the last. It's in the last verse. It's a little phrase in verse eleven. It's Luke five, verse eleven, and it's just this one that says, uh, "They left everything and followed him." And I've always been struck by that. They left everything, and so I thought, "Wow, that is amazing!" Like I, I, I kind of venerated them. I was like, "Dan, I can't believe you would you just leave everything and follow Jesus because that must have been really hard to do." Right? That encourage inspires me. And then there's this flip side I kind of go to pretty quickly after that. And if you've been a Christian for a while, you've probably done this. Well, am I missing something? Is, have I not crossed that line to the point where I would leave everything? In what sense have I lost? lost? Have I left? What, what is it that God has called me to that I have not uh, sacrificially moved into? And I, those, those two messages about this kind of ring in my ears whenever I think about it. But I'm, I'm so thankful that we're looking at this passage. 
because I saw something, I realized something that has changed my whole perspective on it. It's really the main point that I want to share with you today, the thing I'd like to, to um, ask you to think about more than anything else. Because when I, when I thought about them leaving everything, it was always kind of a bad trade. Like it's going to get, it's, you know, Jesus says later in his ministry, if you follow me, it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. We're going to sleep in the dirt. You're not going to have a home, that kind of thing. But the more I thought about it, I realized that that's not what was happening. Those, those, those were parts of where they were going. But y'all, and I, I don't know if I can say it in a way that will help it to resonate with you like it has with me. But when they left everything, Jesus was better. Think about that. Yeah, they, they left some stuff. But they left stuff and they traded it for something much, much better. And that's Jesus. So what we're going to do is we're going to follow along in the story and see sort of the progress of how Jesus interacts with them, how he's introduced to them, and moves forward to the point where he says, you're going to follow me and you're going to be fishers of men. And then they would actually act on that and leave right then and follow him. So how does that happen? What's the process? And I want to just, that's where we're going to head with the story. Uh, four points we're going to look at. One is this, that, that interaction with Jesus, the inter- introduction, interact, the thing that happens uh, up to and to the point where he is recognized. Jesus is recognized as the Messiah, the Son of God. So recognition is the second one. And then what's the implication of that? Once Jesus is recognized as the Messiah, what, is, what are the implications for those who recognize him as such? And finally, captivation. And that's what I was just talking about, that when we recognize who Jesus is, we're captivated by him. And the trade-off of, of giving up everything is really not, it's, it's no longer a trade. It's, it's something beautiful that we step into, and now Jesus becomes everything. The former everything has nothing on him. Now, let me, let me just throw this out to you. If you're, if you're not a believer and you're here, someone who hasn't crossed the line of faith, you're thinking about it, you're kind of looking at Jesus, thinking about church, what is this whole thing? Let me just encourage you. This is a great story to listen to. And the big reason is that nobody in this story is a follower of Jesus until the very last verse, right? So you're in the same boat with all these people, okay? Um, but if you are someone who has been following Jesus for a while, then you've probably been wrestling with this. So what, what does it mean to trade in what we have, who we are, to follow him? What, is, what does it mean to leave everything? What does that look like? So let's, let's start and, and talk about this interaction or introduction that they have to Jesus. Uh, I'm going to read to you from uh, verses 1 and 2. This is where Jesus jumps in a boat. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's the Sea of Galilee, so you've heard of that before, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And it says right after that that Jesus got into one of the boats, it was Simon's boat. So uh, what you see right here, this purposeful step of Jesus into this boat is a thing where Jesus, this isn't the first time Jesus has been interacting with Simon. This has been a process that he's been going through for a while to, uh, to introduce himself, to show him, to show Simon that he is the Messiah and, and Simon's friends, James and John and others. Uh, and I want to ask you, if, if, you're, if you're 
If you're in here, there's no doubt that Jesus is getting into your boat in your life somewhere. So just, just a moment. Think about where is it that he's getting in your boat? He's purposefully moving into your life and you've kind of maybe been pushing that off or maybe you've noticed it. But where is that? Where is it that he's stepping into your life and interacting with you? Well, he's been doing that for a little bit. Uh, in fact, it, just before this, uh, in, in Luke, we see that Jesus has healed uh, Simon's mother-in-law. It doesn't say what the situation was, but this is a major, this is a miracle he's already done. And uh, so there's been interaction with Jesus in a pretty significant way with Simon. Also, uh, Jesus had spent at least a whole day with James and John. So there's interaction. There's things that have been going on that are building up to this moment because people just don't start following Jesus at the spur of the moment, except for very infrequently. Most of the time, it's a long-term process that we are introduced to Jesus, and then finally we cross that line of faith. But uh, he is, he's entered uh, Simon's world in a very specific way. And I want to, uh, to ask you with me just for a moment to try to picture what this was really like, like really get into the scene because it's pretty, uh, a pretty simple story that we can all imagine, especially if you look at a picture of what the Sea of Galilee looks like. You, yeah, so this is, if you just go around the whole Sea of Galilee, it looks like that. And, and no, that is not Blue Mesa. Um, <laughs> um, but doesn't it look like Blue Mesa? I mean, you wouldn't know. If I showed you that, you might, you might say, yeah, that's just west of Gunnison, I think. Really far west. <laughs> um, but look, I mean, uh, you can picture Jesus coming down across, there's some sandy areas or the rocky shore, and there's boats out in the water, right? They're just pulled up, and these men are over here, and Jesus, all these people are following him. He knows exactly what he's doing. And he knows he needs something of an amphitheater he's going to create with these men uh, in these boats. And he's, he's just setting this scene up so he can have this interaction. So he gets in the boat, and he knows uh, from the scene, and we hear it too, that uh, these guys have been fishing all night because they're mending their nets and it's the morning. So they, they would have done this much earlier, but they tried and tried and tried and tried and tried. This is like the story of my fishing life. Um, nothing. And so finally, I'm just like sleeping on the shore. Um, just rest. Seriously, that's how I fish. I get tired. I'm like, uh, but um, if they're not biting. Uh, so here they are. They're in their... Uh, they're, they're mending their nets. Jesus gets in the boat and he says, hey guys, can you just take a break for a minute and, and row me out from the shore? And they're like, you know, okay, no problem. We're pretty tired, but we'll do it. And uh, so there's some relationship there and, and they row him out. And you know, just picture it with me because it's, it's clearly calm or Jesus wouldn't, there's too much wind, they wouldn't be able to hear him from across the water. So it's fairly calm. They, uh, they row out a little bit and you know what happens whenever you're trying to do something in a boat and you're facing one direction and you've got to anchor at one end the boat invariably turns, you know. So there's some guy in there that's rowing, keeping this boat steady so Jesus can continue to communicate to the crowd. And when he finishes communicating, you know, so picture this. There's the two guys in the boat. They're probably like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. You know, how many people like staying up all night in here? <laughs> Not even you, Jude. <laughs> you do. Okay. Um, and, and Jesus, Jesus says, you know what? I know you're tired and everything, but why don't you just go right over there out in the water and drop your nets in one more time? Now, you know, sh- surely they rolled their eyes, right? Surely they did. 
But Peter, Simon Peter, it's the same guy. Simon says, well, Jesus, you know, we've been out all night, and you notice that, but and, and these are the words that change the world. These words right here. At your word, we'll do it. I mean, if he didn't say that, you know, who knows how long until those guys would have followed him, right? But these are those pivotal moments. That's that place where, at your word, now, something, this, the tipping point has come. So they go out, and they drop the nets in, and something amazing happens, right? Uh, and this is where we come to this, my second point, the, the recognition of Jesus. Not just Jesus the man, Jesus God. This is where that thing happens. Have you ever, uh, well, a lot of you people are probably famous and I don't know it, but when you come across a famous person, like you're at a restaurant or you're walking down the street somewhere and you see someone who's famous, you're like, oh, that's so-and-so. You know, and it's all you can do not to go over and meet them and talk to them and all that. Uh, Claire and I were visiting some friends. Some of you guys know the McCrays, uh, uh, Holden and Priscilla. They, they attend here and uh, they live, their other home is in Malibu, California. And so we were visiting them there and we went to church with them and we're sitting uh, in, this, in the, the pew, I guess, and, and Claire and I look over and we see this guy. We're like, oh, yeah, how could we know that guy? How, I mean, I feel like that's a friend of ours. And, uh, well, it wasn't a friend. Um, it was the guy, I think his name's Craig Miller. He was coach in the 90s. Remember coach? Come on, somebody's watched coach. Okay, thank you. Yeah. You guys were hyper in the music. You need to bring it up a level right here. Okay? Um, and... Uh, so it's coach, and we're like, suddenly it went from, oh, I think I recognize that guy. To, oh, my gosh, it's coach. He's also, um, he's, uh, he's the dad in, in the Invincible, in the uh, Incredibles. Incredibles Invincibles. Whatever. Yeah. I'm getting heckled from back here, but uh, <laughs> the Invincible, what the heck is that? When we, that guy's made Claire and I laugh and laugh and laugh, you know? So you have this moment of, oh, oh, there's somebody special. You know, that, that guy's had an impact on us. And, and then you're like, okay, control yourself. It's all okay. Well, Peter, I mean, or, or uh, Simon, he, he has this moment where he recognizes Jesus, but he recognizes Jesus in a situation where it has to do with fish. I mean, what an unusual miracle. I mean, think about that for a second. Revealed to him through fish. There's so many fish that they're pulling them in the side of the boat, and the boat's rocking over. Surely Jesus is helping them do this. They're pulling it in. They're filling it up, and it's so full. They're like, guys, you know, hollering to their friends, come on it. We need you guys to come, and we're going to fill up another boat. So they fill these boats up. It says to the point where they're sinking. So, you know, the, the rails are really low, and they're trying to keep it balanced so they don't flop, you know, turn over. And so they're up to their knees, probably, in fish. And... The moment happens where, where Simon says, you know what? This is so overwhelming. This thing is so overwhelming. And he recognizes Jesus as the Son of God. Right? Now, it is interesting that just uh, recently, days before, Jesus had healed Simon's mother-in-law. But I guess that wasn't enough. So we had to do something even bigger and better, I guess. Come on, you can laugh because uh, <laughs> the mother-in-law didn't quite cover it. Either. Like, what can I do? Okay. 
I, of course, would have completely been ready to follow Jesus if my mother-in-law was here. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if Susie's watching, but just in case, Susie, I just want to make sure you know. Um, there is this, uh, this internal recognition with Simon. He goes, this is who the Messiah is. And he, this, uh, this moment of, of proof is incontrovertible to him. He's, this is, I'm convinced. And then there's the external action, the thing that he is drawn to next, and that's to throw himself, it says, at the knees of Jesus. Uh, look at verse 8. When Simon Peter saw the catch, he fell at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. I think it may be fairly accurate that Luke writes this this way and says that he fell at Jesus' knees because Jesus was probably up to his knees in fish. Right? So Simon throws himself down in the fish, literally in the fish. You could just picture the scene. I think one thing about Simon that I, I just love, and, and as his name is changed to Peter and he follows Jesus, that guy does the stuff that in the back of my mind and my faith journey, I think about doing. And I don't do. He says the things that, that I don't say. He's so bold and so out there in his faith. He's so convicted and convinced and, and motivated and driven. He's, uh, you know, he's a powerful example to us. He, one of the reasons is because he does the stuff, the actions. He says the words that I'm always afraid to say. He has this courage that, that blows me away. So he's, he's moved from an interaction and introduction to Jesus to this thing that is a, a recognition of the Godhood of Jesus, the presence of the true Messiah in his presence on his boat, standing deep, or, you know, knee-deep in the fish. So then, what are the implications of recognizing who Jesus is? This is very practical for us. What are the implications of seeing, recognizing who Jesus is? In uh, 10b, the second half of uh, verse 10, Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And then there's a parallel story in Mark 1.17 where Mark uh, tells this, but he doesn't tell all the detail. And the way he records it is like this. He says, And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. So I want to real briefly pull out three things from that. I'm just going to hit them really quickly. But three things that are universal messages to Christians, to followers of Jesus that are in this. And there's much more, but I just want to highlight a couple. One is this. He says, don't fear. The second one is this. He says, follow me. And third, I will make you fishers of men. That's all in there. So first, there's no need to have fear with me. Now, every now and then, I have these sort of, I guess you'd call them epiphanies, where I just am aware of the greatness, the majesty, the magnitude of the God that we worship. You ever had those, like, a lot of times they're split seconds. Sometimes it lasts a little bit longer and the wave then kind of fades. But you're like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. I can't believe this. I look at the stars or I see the mountains or I'm thinking about something that God's done and it just, it strikes me. I have that moment like that. What happens often when we have those moments is that we're, we're recognizing the beauty of of God and what he has done. And when that happens, there's a sense in which the light of holiness shines in our lives. 
And one of the reasons I think I back out a little bit is because when I'm with, in the light of holiness, when I'm sensing the presence of God, it, it has the natural uh, tendency to reveal who I am, what the dirty corners of my uh, soul are like, right? And that's exactly what is happening right here. He senses his unworthiness to be in the presence of Jesus. Does this remind you, some of you know more about the Bible, if you go back to Isaiah, Isaiah has this prophetic, powerful dream in the, in the early part of the book, chapter 5 or 6, I think, and he, he dreams he's in the presence of God, and he falls on his face. He says, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be here. And God sends an angel to him. He, said, he, he, may, he says, your sins are atoned for. And he, he says, basically, he says, Isaiah, don't be afraid. And the same thing happens here with, with Simon. He says, don't be afraid. Now, if you are just to spend a little bit of time thinking about all the ramifications of the Son of God saying to a broken man who's not even at level zero of being capable of being in a relationship with Jesus, having the God of the universe say, don't be afraid. I mean, when you really see it, that's pretty powerful. There's no shame. There's nothing, you can't do anything to distance yourself any further. You can't do anything to get yourself any closer. It's all about Jesus, and he says, don't be afraid. I'm going to lift you up. And he says, follow me. Pretty significant statement. Follow me is, is another word, it's the same word for discipleship. I want you to be one of my disciples. And I think Eric mentioned in his announcements today, we're going to be starting some classes at Obi Joyful to help uh, us move forward in our going deeper with Jesus and how to follow him and what that looks like. But it was really uncommon for a teacher in those days to say, follow me. Most of the time, the teacher was in a place, the people went to the place and they left. Jesus says, follow me. We're going somewhere together. And so I think when we're wondering, what does it mean that Jesus says, follow me? We need to wrestle with all the aspects of that. And then he says, I want you to be, you're going to be fishers of men. You're part of your new calling, your new identity, is that you're going to be fishers of men. And there's a really cool thing that you can't see in the English, but you can see it in the Greek. Um, in, in, in the Greek, and honestly, I can't see it. Somebody else had to tell me this. Uh, but when you read the Greek, the word fisher, like if I said, uh, hey, let's go fishing, then I'm in the, in this, using the same word. It would be like, hey, let's go liberate the fish from their, world, from their watery world. We're going to extract them into a better place. And so that's not only what it means. It does mean to fish, but there's a nuance, a meaning within it that was poignant when it was written like this. It, it means to release, to, uh, to free. So this is what he says, you're going to be fishers of men. And sort of a, a neat uh, picture beyond just fishing. So I can understand the idea of uh, not fearing, you know, when, when Jesus says, don't be afraid. I, I get that. And I, I understand that, that idea of following Jesus. That makes sense to me. But what about fishing? Like, as a Christian, if, you, if you're somebody who is a believer, that's one of the things we struggle with the most. How do I do that? Like, I wrestle, I always wrestle with that. Like, I, I think I was told or I thought I had to be the guy who could go and say, introduce somebody to Jesus. Like, this is who Jesus is. And, and then get them so interested in Jesus that at some point, probably within 20 minutes, they had decided that they needed Jesus and wanted to trust their lives to him, 
right? And then we could pray a prayer and they would follow Jesus. I don't know if any of you have grown up with that kind of mentality or thought, but it can be discouraging because you're like, I've never had that happen. I've, I've struggled with that. Th- that is a great thing. And some people are talented and capable and gifted to do that. But most of the time, it takes a long time for someone to come to the point of trusting Jesus. Can you not also see it in this very story? Jesus has shown up on the scene. He's befriended James and John, the sons of Zebedee, right? And then he's interacted with Peter. He's done this healing that didn't quite convince Peter, but it's part of the process. And then he does this major thing on the side of the, in the lake with the fish, and that convinces him. And then he says, this is what it looks like. You're going to follow me, Right? It was a process. And here's how I like to think of it. It's very helpful to me to think of myself as being a link in the chain of the process. Right? Nothing wrong with being a used car salesman, but that was sort of the model I had presented to me as how it works. Like you introduce them to the vehicle, and then they're interested, and then you have some negotiation, and then you take them all the way from that to let me go talk to my manager. Right? That is, that is part of it. That's a process that's happening. But as believers, the principle is that, y'all, we have to be engaged as a link in the chain and helping people move forward towards Jesus. And some of us are great at the ending, and some of us are great at the introduction. Some of us are great at leaving tips at restaurants and inviting those people over to our houses and feeding them. You know, whatever it is, the process. Um, let me give you an example. Uh, I'm not a great evangelist. That's not my thing. People don't come to Christ around me, and I have to be okay with that. However, I have to be involved. So my wife and I, Claire, are involved with Young Life. Young Life is completely separate from OB Joyful. It is a ministry designed to engage kids well and introduce them to Jesus and send them forward in their faith. So it's not going to be super productive for me to go hang out in my dad jeans at the high school, right? So we have awesome leaders, some of who are here, who interact with those kids and what Claire and I do is we feed the leaders, we pray for the leaders, we talk with them on the phone, we, um, we do whatever they might need, we, we help raise money to make the ministry happen, because we're not the people who should be on the front lines, right? So this is how we engage in evangelism, among other things. But I just want to give you an example, because every single person who's a believer must be a fisher of men. You are a fisher of men. So how is it you're going to engage in that? Just let's, let's erase the whole picture of completing the deal, of going to the door and knocking on the door and completing the deal all at one time and, and be a part of, of liberating men and women and introducing them to Jesus. So I will make you fishers of men, Jesus says. And what this is, is a new calling. This thing that happens, the implication is that these men have a new calling. And it's a calling that's, that is, uh, well, let me, let me close with this. And this is that last one. It's, it's uh, captivation. It's captivating. It's what we talked about at the beginning in verse 11. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They were captivated by Jesus. What they realized is The fish that we just caught that could make us wealthy, that's just the beginning. It's no problem to trade everything for knowing him because Jesus is better.
Jesus is better. We're not trading away. We're not losing. We're winning because Jesus is better. I'm going to pray for that for us right now. God, we, uh, we come to you, uh, and we, just, we thank you for the story, for the chance to interact. Um, Lord, you, you, we know, uh, through your Son, are reaching out to us, whether we don't know you or do. And I pray that we would see him getting in the boat of our lives, and we would respond appropriately. Uh, Lord, as we sing this song together, uh, to close, I pray that the words would sink into our hearts and we'd carry them out. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.